Hello. Well, hello, sir. How are you? I'm pretty great, actually. You've been uh, doing a lot of stuff this week, I hear. Yes, I've been doing a lot of stuff. Um, I was just saying to Spencer and Joel that I'm excited to do this podcast because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So you, uh, I think you publicly stated on here that your your alpha launch date was January 7th. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's true. And it is now the 10th, so we're three days in. How's that going? Uh, it's going really well. I will admit being nervous about it. So as we usually do um, for big things, we booked an Airbnb to do a little retreat. Nice. So I booked a place in Western Mass that had like a hot tub and a wood-burning stove and all that for all the usual reasons, which for us is just kind of like it helps focus, gets us out of our normal routines. We end up working like a lot, basically, but sort of like not at a crazy pace. Like we take a lot of breaks, but it's just like after dinner, we sit back down and do some more work. And then like we play little video games and then we do a little work in the evening, like after that. And so it just has been useful for us when we have a lot to do, which we did. I was honestly kind of worried going into it. This is a classic creator experience, I think. But like, we're so aware of all the bugs. And like, every time I would see like a little issue, I'd be like, oh my God, like, I, I hope people aren't really pissed off at that thing. Getting all the little things right has just been like a challenge. It's kind of the curse of being a technical person on the product side. I used to look at like the sales team at Drip and we would like come up with some like MVP feature of something and like it's pretty good, pretty functional, but you know, missing some things that I would really like to have in. So if I were selling it, I would be like terrible because I'd be like, well, it's it's missing this and that. But the sales team's like, no, this is great. I can totally run with this and it's good enough, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So I'll just sort of keep moving chronologically before summarizing. We went there Sunday night, Monday morning was the planned start of the alpha. Uh, and someone, John Randall, actually, was our first customer. He emailed me first thing Monday morning. It was like, hey, I'm psyched. Can we do this? Let's go. And I was like, all right, John's first. We uh, created him account and I did a call with him and was like, okay, like let's install this right now. And like I sent him the instructions and we got it loaded up and I started like showing him some of the stuff. And he says, I'm sort of surprised you're calling this an alpha because everything seems to work. <laughs> right. Which was like amazing. Yeah, um, and I'm sure that felt good to hear. It did. And let's be clear, that's not totally true. Like, lots of stuff is like sort of subtly broken or like not subtly broken. But like the video works, the audio works. There's two mouse cursors. I can type, you can command tab, things like that. And the latency to Spencer and Joel's credit in particular is getting pretty good, actually. It was pretty snappy and basically worked. And he was very complimentary. It was just a great experience. He also gave us like 10 things, of course, like right away. It was like, I was surprised that when I clicked this, this happened. Lots of those like little UX things that you've just sort of lost the ability to see yourself. I'm a huge fan of like manually onboarding people on calls for products, especially in the early days. And this was like, just hammer that home again, how useful that yeah. can be. Just to step back one step. So what what was your communication like leading up to the alpha? Because I mean, you had somebody who was kind of banging down your door to you know to get onboarded but was were you like emailing people pinging people leading up to it like hey this is coming soon or did you send out like calendly links for people to book time or like what's your approach been i wasn't totally sure where we were going to be things came together somewhat last minute like to the point where like okay we can we can actually give this to people and so i wanted to have the option to be like to like push it back a little bit just in case so i didn't schedule anything ahead of time I had told people the 7th was when it would start. I also set expectations saying like, we might not get you in there right away. Like we're planning on doing a rolling, sort of a, a, a rolling rollout, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think anyone would be upset. 
if we didn't have it right away. And so I sort of wanted to hang on to that option just in case it was like, wow, this is like, something's really wrong. We got to fix this before we can even begin. Right. So the plan was to kind of come in like, so the seventh arrives and now you're like, okay, now it's time to just start. Like if things feel ready, then start kind of emailing people who are on the, in the alpha cohort to, to schedule times with them basically. That's right. Yep. Cool. The nice thing was that it was ready and John was ready. And so I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. Here we go. So Spencer, Joel and I were all just like on the call, like watching it happen. And it was like, like holding our breath, like, please connect, like making the call. Like, so I was like, okay, now call me on Tuple. I was like, oh my God, please work. Uh, <laughs> did you start out the, the onboarding on a different tool or did you use Tuple from the get go? Or were you on video or something? I think I called him on the phone, actually. I wanted some technology that I knew was reliable. So we just did like a little a speakerphone call. Uh, and then walked him through it from there. Since then, I've onboarded more people and like seeing people in the online users list is like keeps blowing my mind and it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, oh God, they're using the product. I hope it's working. Oh God. It's still got like bugs for sure. But like the cool thing that I've, I'm learning and like I experienced this on the call with John, but then a bunch of other people as well that I've done since then, I think I'm up to eight people now, um, has been like, a bug will happen. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, sorry about that. That's sort of a known thing. If you do this and this, and you have a trackpad, blah, 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 this, this will happen this way. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That seems like it'd be really hard. Like people are like, just totally cool with it so far. I mean, that says to me that you have a good cohort so far, at least of like early adopter minded people. And they're probably also technical, which helps too to have like that developer empathy kind of naturally translate but um, totally yeah those are like the exact right people you want to have right now and it won't necessarily represent what your customer is always going to look like but the last thing you need right now is somebody like flaming you for having a bug here or there (laughs) yeah that was my fear it was like people would be mad at us you know or they'd be like really disappointed and be like oh this is trash like oh no i went through the sales process with these people saying like look we're looking for alpha people like you have to be people that really want this and like are willing to give feedback and be friendly and you know all that and i had sort of like forgotten that or like it didn't really in my head they were just normal people (laughs) so i was expecting more pushback but it's been really good so far are the people who are coming in right now are they paying like is the the clock ticking on their subscription right now or how is that so the way I, i sold it to people was you pay a certain amount um and you get access during the alpha and then for a year after we end the alpha. So the alpha will be some number of months until it doesn't feel like alpha software anymore, basically. And then we'll actually start the clock on a real thing. We're probably going to call that beta. But after the alpha ends is when we start the year for people. That's something I've been thinking about, like, like for me, because I'm not the soft launch. I'm not calling it an alpha because, you know, like I feel like there's there's less bugs that would potentially affect people's workflow. And it's more of like, is there enough in the product? But I know the product is is definitely usable in its current form, but like may not just may not be quite enough for people. So I didn't want to really put like an alpha or beta label on it as such, but I've been kind of still, I still have a little bit of lack of clarity on exactly how I want to handle the onboarding folks. And then am I giving some kind of like grace period of like, try it out, do a, you know, pilot within your team and, and then I'll charge you a week later or do I charge you up front and then, you know, can refund you if it's totally catastrophic for your team or something. But that's one detail. It's like an important detail that I don't feel like I have total clarity on yet. For yes. Uh, I also don't have total clarity around pricing models as yeah. we will cover <laughs> shortly. Yeah. This is a hard topic to get right. Um, yeah. But what we've, I would say our meta habit has been to experiment and I think that has been serving us pretty well. 
Yeah. Like I'm going to kind of have a, a plan in my head. And then I feel like once I get through a couple of calls with people and I, you know, I'm d- kind of demoing the product, showing it, talking about strategy, of like, how do you want to do this? Because I kind of want to leave it open ended. I'm happy to just onboard and train like the person who's going to shepherd it inside of their company and then they can go on and train their people or if they're like look i would really help to have like a video call where like the whole team joins and you kind of talk through how it works and how to how it's different than slack and i'm i'm willing to do that too you know at this point it's like i can do the full concierge uh, for these folks but i kind of want to talk that through with with individuals and just kind of see like what are you envisioning what's going to help you i feel like i'll learn like pretty quickly what the expectations are around like well i don't know if we can pay for this right now but we definitely want to try it out and like are willing to pay if it's going to work yeah it's definitely worth experimenting i think and i I like the sound of the ladder thing where like you get everybody on a call and like maybe do a quick demo and talk about why it's different and how you should use it i feel like using the tool right is so important for level to get the benefits that you want from it like to, to actually cash in on that value prop Yeah, because if you're coming in expecting it to be like a drop in replacement, then you're going to be disappointed if you're like, well, why? Like, I'm not getting I'm not getting notifications as I expected, because normally when someone pings in here, I see it right away. And it's like, no, the whole point is (laughs) that it doesn't do that. But you kind of have to be bought into the paradigm and understand and be willing to like do the work take the hard steps of like getting off the dopamine hits. I I feel like I can put that in writing and people may or may not read it in like a onboarding flow in the app. So I feel like it's going to be most impactful if there's like a human telling them this is what you're buying into, but I promise it has benefits as rewards. So, yep, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're selling a process as much as a product here, I think. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And the pricing thing, just, I don't know, try different things, see what works. Yeah. Start with something that's really good for you and see if you can get that. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Totally. Something I wanted to mention that happened on our call, actually all of our calls now, I did it on the first call and has has gone well on all of them, which is we built this thing in the product, which is a performance dashboard. So you can see on your call, like that we kept having this experience of other screen sharing type things where it's like something is wrong and I don't know what, like we're having a bad connection of some kind. Whose fault is it? What's actually the culprit? And so Spencer built this beautiful performance dashboard and uh, it shows like, here's the current frame rate that you're creating and sending over the wire. Here's how fast it's actually getting rendered on the other side. Here is the um, amount of bandwidth we see as available. Here's how much you need. Uh, here's how long it takes to encode frames, the ping between us, all the stuff. And it's really great because on the calls, I can say like, okay, if you're having a problem, check out this graph. And this is what a healthy graph looks like. This is what a bad graph looks like. And like we showed this to John and actually basically everyone since. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. He said, like, the fact that you built this and that this exists shows me that you care about the right things. He was willing to overlook the problems because he could tell that we were sweating the kind of details that mattered to him. Yeah, you're either taking the approach of like, ah, we're going to cobble this thing together just so it functions. And then as soon as it functions, you know, we're going to start charging money for it. But it's like, no, you actually are like, here's what we're optimizing for. And it kind of paints the picture that there's like, there's a, it's complicated and there's a lot of inputs into this and we're tracking all of them. And I've told people like this graph right here is like what we're going to obsess about over the next couple of years. We want that frame rate higher and it's hard to get it higher, but that's like what we do. That's our job. So like know that it's not quite where we want it to be, but uh, you can see where we're at and where it's going, hopefully. And then I got like one of the best emails of my life. I like shared some of that on Twitter because I was just like too psyched. But his quote was he, he used the app for his first pairing session and said, it feels like the old, the good old days. 
referring to like back in screen hero days that could almost like, be a headline for you or something uh, yeah <laughs> get back yeah. to the good old days <laughs> right i need to like burn that on a piece of wood and hang it over my computer that was just like it was just so gratifying like that was the first bit of feedback we've gotten from someone who actually used it for real work that was not us and it was just like oh my god that's oh, it's so good could have easily been bad you know or like tried it not really good hey can i have my money back or something instead it was just like oh we're st- like and to us we're still so far from where we want to be like there's just like there's like a ton of things to work on and fix and like there's just lots more lots more to do so it feels good that like it's already like feels good to some people yeah that's awesome speaking of pricing models I had sort of an interesting development there so i have been um the first people that have signed up for the alpha were actually a lot of people that i met at microconf so I had just last year's microconf, I had just started working on the thing. I think we weren't we weren't incorporated or anything. We were just like getting going, and uh, there were a lot of people I talked to about it that were kind of like freelance developers who were at microconf and were excited about it. And so I like I got their emails and I followed up with them afterwards and like charged them a little bit of money um, under the pricing model of hey, you can use this for work, and if you have clients, if you pay us for a license, then any number of your clients can pair with you. And they don't have to pay. And that like got the sale and it made the most sense at the time to me. But as I talked to more and more potential customers and signed up more people to the alpha, I realized kind of, duh, um, teams are a better fit for this. Or like an established team of five developers that already remote pairs all the time amongst themselves is a much easier thing for us to support and sell to. It's like, we know there's only five. We don't have to support a crazy matrix of operating systems and things like we there's there's just less there's fewer moving parts like if we test it with all five people and it works we're good if i sell it to one freelancer this person could have 40 clients a year that he wants to use tuple and it's just so much more complexity and potential support and not shockingly the people that are on teams of multiple developers have much more budget for this kind of thing they're way less price sensitive i did a lot of pricing experiments and just like just was selling like literally like five times the price to like larger companies per person. And they were like, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like a, a reasonable price. And I was like, okay. So we found ourselves like basically the day of the alpha launch being like, I don't think we should onboard like a bunch of these people. So we like, we went into alpha. We had, I think it's four teams four or five teams of multiple developers that had like paid pretty high prices and had multiple people and then like a 13 or so like solo folks and we talked about a lot and it was just the conclusion we came to was like i don't think we should support this model actually yeah yeah i uh did the tricky thing and basically wrote that all up and was like hey like here's the situation um it sort of sucks i feel bad i sort of see two options one is buy more seats like if you are a developer that like if you're actually are a solo dev and you have a team like if you want to get your team on it like that's cool Uh, obviously we'll give you a big discount on additional seats or if you want i i I change things out from under you so like if you want a refund no problem and i sent that to everybody and so far the response has been really good actually Um, pretty much everyone yeah everyone has said like yep totally understand i'm disappointed but uh, i get why you would do it this way so I'll take the refund, but hey, like it's it's cool. Maybe someday I'll need it and I'll suggest it to the team I'm on. Yep. Yeah. When you so you sent the copy to me a little bit before you you shot off the email and like first time through reading it, it just 
clicked for me. Like, I think you did a really good job of just being like authentic. Like, I think you had a line in there where you said, this is essentially what we need. We're a small team and we're trying to achieve profitability. And, you know, so we have to optimize for making this thing sustainable. I think it was very hard to be mad after reading that. I mean, the the offer for the refund just seemed like the totally fair and no brainer kind of move uh, to do. So yeah, bravo on the execution on that. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I appreciated have, being able to send that to you and get some feedback on that. I talked to Adam too, by the way, I was, cause also asked him about it. Cause he was actually one of the people that was affected. He was the first person that bought a tuple license. And I was like, Hey man, I think actually this is not going to work. So I talked it through with him as well. And he was similarly disappointed by understanding. If I actually think about it, like, I guess I would be in the camp of person who, you know, I don't have a team right now and it would be cool to like, use tuple to pair with you know you and adam or whoever else like randomly i want to pair with but it's not like i'm doing that all the time as compared to like a team like think about the drip team or just or any other team that could potentially use it and where like pairing is part of their process and they do it every day like it just seems like that's where the values aligned and so i think it just makes it just makes sense yeah it felt really good actually like it's not fun refunding like thousands of dollars or like telling people who were like your earliest supporters, like, hey, like, we're probably not going to support you. But after we did it, I just like the more I, th- I sat on it, the, the better I felt about the decision. The focus is so valuable for us. Like we just don't, there's just not that much bandwidth to do that many things. And so like, we have to do fewer things and do them well to, to compete. Well, if you have anything else to say on that, go ahead. I have a kind of a segue topic. Um, go ahead, segue away. So I was kind of just sitting around brainstorming like the other day about... Where do I want level to be at in, you know, a month from now or two months from now after I've kind of made it through my initial like inviting the first cohort in and like assuming that it's working reasonably well and it's not like completely missing the mark and I'm starting to edge closer to product market fit. Like what is the what does the end game look like? Is it a big splashy public launch where I email the entire list and open the doors and have a free trial and do all that kind of stuff, which to me, that's kind of the like impatient option. Uh, in me is like I like I kind of just naturally want to have like a bunch of people come through the door so I can convert a certain portion of them and get MRR, you know, relatively fast. The other flip side of that is like, I know that if that were to happen, you know, I would start to get a bunch of different people in different situations using the product and everyone would have their own kind of opinion about what should be added to the product. So you get all kinds of noise of feature requests and stuff. Ultimately, you only convert a small slice of those. So most people will will churn out and that won't feel good. The, the road kind of diverges. Do you go open up as wide as you can, make the product really easy and accessible to try out and only convert a small slice? Or do you go like more of the superhuman approach where you keep it invite only for a long time, maybe years, and be very selective about who you let in and do your pre-qualification and make sure they are a really good fit to get a lot of value out of the product and then go more concierge route, more handholding if needed, and hopefully build like a more solid, sustained base of customers who aren't churning out and who are giving you suggestions that, you know, are like perfectly aligned with the type of customer you want to have in the product. I kind of talked myself into the second approach. But uh, it's just kind of interesting, like it, like when you were talking about the focus piece and like wanting to have the right type of customer that aligns with your goals, like that's what I'm thinking about. Like, how can I apply that to level going forward, even after this kind of initial invite phase? The way you described the second option sounded like you've yeah. already made a decision. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do I do A I or B, I, which is really good? B is really good. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not sure if like things are trending in that direction. I mean, superhuman is like the most is like the uh, most prominent example I know of that's doing it that way pretty aggressively. Like I was listening to um, Brian and Jordan's uh, Bootstrap Web podcast this morning, like their most recent episode, and they were opining about like the trend seems to be moving in the opposite direction of like more people doing wider top of funnel, let the product sell itself, let anyone and everyone try the product out with you know long trials and maybe even freemium so that you know people can realize the vision of the product and and get sold on it ultimately if the product's really good and that's kind of the opposite approach of the super restricted like i'm only going to let you in if you're really a good fit according to my criteria so there's pros definitely for letting the product kind of sell itself if it's really well executed but i think plan b is better (laughs) if level were a to-do app or something that only one person used, self-service would probably make more sense. Because it's like, oh, I, I built an amazing to-do app. You should try it. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. But like, you can't just try a level by yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And a lot of your ingrained habits and assumptions are probably not quite right for it. Mm-hmm. So it's got, like, it's, a, it's got a team component and it's got a behavior change component. Where like, it just makes me think like you're going to have to shepherd people through, I think. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, that's a good distinction, I think. And it's an aspirational product. Like people, a lot of people recognize the problems with the macro trends of like, we're interrupted all the time, we're lacking focus, like, and and a lot of people recognize, or at least early adopter types are recognizing that Slack is not helping in that regard. But it's still, an, it's an aspirational thing. And I've seen this with other competitors to level people talking about like, oh, yeah, I tried that. And then we just didn't end up using it. Like, we just, eh, I don't know, shrug, you know. And because it's just so hard to change for people to break habits and actually embrace a new way of doing things. Those like dopamine hits and notifications are addicting, but they like make you get addicted to the product. And it's not the healthy addiction, but it's a kind of nice addiction for your business in a way. Because it's like, oh, someone tries it and they're like, oh, yeah, dopamine. I like dopamine. So I'm going to keep using this. Right. And so if you're like, we're the dopamine free versions, like, "Mm, cool, (laughs) I I tried it. It wasn't very dopamine-y. Yeah, we're the uh, the spinach, the spinach and broccoli of the of the team communication space. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yes, yeah. That's, so yeah, I think for you, it's like extra important to get your true believers, like the people that are already sold on like that. No, okay, I, I get why Slack is bad. I'm bought into that. Show me how this is gonna like help me get there, and like maybe give me a little nudge. Yep. Yep. I think like a an automated email campaign is for like free trials is is probably not going to get that done. Mm-mm. No, yeah. There's a lot of education. There's a lot of convincing. A lot of stirring of passion in people of like yes, yes, yes. This is what we need to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just hard to do over text or you know over passive forms of communication. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've I've never built a product like this, but that's what sounds right mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all we can go off of, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It's interesting to talk to other software folks and entrepreneur types and all that and just keep having this message hammered home. It's like, we're all kind of just making it up. I think there's this natural tendency where we look around and we're like, everyone else has got their thing together. And it's like, no, no, no. Like Everything's kind of a mess behind the scenes. And like you just don't see all the problems because they're putting on a, a good facade or something. Yeah, 
I think it was Jason Fried has talked about this where it's like I look at competitors who are like they look at the Basecamp homepage and they just start like blindly copying everything we're doing like oh we put a face in the in the header oh I'm going to now put a face in the header because it's probably working well for them and he's like people have no idea what's working well and most of the time the stuff we do doesn't actually work that well and the same with like blindly copying features in an app it's like oh they have this feature I'm going to I I need feature parity so I'm going to add that too and it's like, that actually may be a terrible feature that nobody uses, but it's not like products are labeling all their things as like, this was a bad decision. No one uses this. Like, so you just can't, you can't just look at another product or look at another company or the way they market or the way they sell and assume that it's working well for them, even if they're successful, because probably most of the time, most things aren't working that well, <laughs> which is kind of the mm-hmm. truth in business, I think. Um, yeah. So. Yep. This this is a thing that Jason Cohen tweeted that I liked a lot, which was like, "Yeah, you're right. Like you're like if you're having trouble releasing your product, you're right. It's not good enough, but that's okay. Like your high standards over time will lead to good software, but your users want their problem solved. So if you solve enough of it, like give it to them now, they want it." And that was like my kind of takeaway from this week is like the app is fast enough and usable enough that it's solving the problem. Like it's an improvement. And like John was like, "Hey, this is like, you've improved our lives with this." And it's like, "Oh my god, that feels so good." And it's like, all I was looking at was like the problems and like how much further we had to go. And I didn't realize we were over the solving useful, like, like providing useful value bar. Yeah, that's actually the very sentiment that I, I keep returning back to when I like kind of get in a slump and feel like, I don't know, does this, does this do enough? Like, is this really, maybe I need to add 50 more features. And then I'm like, nope, got to keep coming back to that sentiment of like, how selfish of me to withhold this from people who, you know, this, this very well could be just just enough like yeah it doesn't have every last integration in the world attached to it but i don't know who am i to say that people even need that stuff i got in this interesting um conversation with brian castle i demoed i had him walk through the level onboarding he gave me a bunch of good feedback and stuff like that one of his remarks when i when we were looking i was showing him how to how posts work in level and how hyperlinking works and auto linking stuff like that and he was like oh i'm so glad to see that you that you aren't like unfurling links and showing the little preview panel he's like i hate that i hate that in twitter and i hate that in slack i mean that got me thinking like you know if you think about it like hyperlinks is like the original integration of the internet and it works incredibly well and it really i don't know if it needs to be jazzed up that much i mean we all understand what a link is yeah <laughs> yep. you know i would love it if level could just stay this like beautifully simple tool that doesn't try to over engineer rethink reinvent everything and just kind of use use the existing constructs that are there and maybe that'll be enough going back to just some of that like you don't know what's going on inside i had a really nice conversation with um a friend who also runs a software company and he was like i was I was like a couple of days away from from the alpha and I was like feeling kind of anxious. And he's like, how's the product? I was like, it's, you know, it's kind of getting there. And uh, he was like, so like when we launched the first version of our product, people really liked it, but it was just like not stable. Like, or like it sold really well. It demoed really well. The, the value prop was like resonated really well. But once people actually just like got it set up, it was just like not, wouldn't get it done. And it was costing people a lot of money. And he said like, I went through like basically 12 months of hell. And we like ended up like firing our CTO and it was just like this whole thing. That conversation actually made me feel better because he's like, now it's great. Like we rewrote it. It's solid. We learned so much from that experience. Like we have a good person in that role. Like everything is going great. We're making a ton of money. And it was just like, okay, like if the alpha is horrible, you know, we might have to like go through like the, the valley of terrible for a while. But people have done that. 
and it doesn't kill the company and it doesn't kill you and you can you can get to the other side that helped a lot we got problems like we got bugs and there there are bugs that are stressing me out right now still um and i think that'll be true for a while but it's nice to know like okay i can i can actually already see a little bit of like positive stuff happening which to be three or four days into your product launch it feels really good like i'm 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 impressed with spencer and joel they put a hell of a lot of work in there to make that happen uh, I'm psyched that it's resonating with people. I'm feeling feeling pretty good. Yeah. You need to have a lot of tenacity to go through any kind of like process like this because, I mean, it's not all going to be rosy. You're going to encounter a customer eventually that has a bad experience and then is just like, yeah, your product sucks. Like someone's going to end up saying that. And it's just like coming back to the 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 fundamental truth that like there is a there is a burning problem here like fundamentally you're solving a problem that needs to be solved and a lot of people are feeling it and there's going to be these like speed bumps along the way and people who have a bad experience or just don't fully get it or maybe they're not perfectly aligned with with the way you're solving it and so they're going to be creating negativity but at the end of the day you're still working on a worthwhile problem and if you keep trending towards that and getting closer to executing well on that like it should work out and that's what i keep coming back to like like i had an experience in slack today i went and dropped into a programming slack to ask an elixir question and like it was just a terrible experience like <laughs> i dropped a question in there and then someone else like started talking in the same channel and that's turned into like a whole flame war about javascript and da, da, da. and like my question was buried and then like i had one more piece of information to like post about it and i was like uh just like slipped it in the channel like this is related to my previous post and then like the flame war continued and i was like yeah this is not this is just completely ineffective so that was just like a nice little reminder that like things are still pretty broken in this world and i think you know this is this is still worth solving <laughs> yeah i like it that's good i'm glad you're you're still feeling that way yeah yeah do you want to talk on the air about drip's price change oh sure yeah so what do you think of it it was painful to watch as a former co-founder just to see the poor execution i mean so the, the communication was was just completely botched so for those who don't know drip basically did a pretty substantial price increase and it kind of varied like there i'm sure they just changed like the pricing formula so like the multiple of price increase was not the same for uh for every customer so i think that that was their rationale for basically justifying why they sent an email to all the customers saying like prices are going up we've added a bunch of stuff to the product made it more valuable but they didn't specify in that email what the price increase was, but then had a call to action to upgrade to annual to keep your price the same, which that did not go over well. And I understand why. I mean, people were rightfully very angry. Yeah, I couldn't help. I was just kind of drawn to the Twitter dumpster fire the whole time it was going on. Like, I just couldn't help but kind of watch and see like all this all this goodwill in this community that was like basically our our earliest adopters kind of go up in flames, you know. Um, so it was, it was painful to watch, and I understand strategically. So Drip kind of has made a shift that kind of started out as serving the audience of other people who run software companies, people who sell like WordPress plugins and do consulting. And, you know, that was kind of like our bread and butter in the early days. And strategically, the company made a shift towards e-commerce companies in the last year and invented this term e-CRM, e-commerce CRM, and pushed all the chips into that direction. 
And I understand the strategy behind that. And so I think a lot of their roadmap in the last year has been, you know, shoring up features for people who run Shopify stores or have, you know, sell physical goods online. Is this an, a move up market? Are these like gigantic like e-commerce companies? Is that why? What was the motivation behind the change? I mean, I think it's kind of looking at broader market analysis. Like there's just more opportunity across the spectrum. There was kind of a fork in the road. Like Drip could have doubled down on the like SaaS customer. And there was a bunch of features that needed to get added to be able to kind of go up market and also still serve the lower end of the market. So, so it was like you could have invested in that direction or gone in the direction of e-commerce. And there was some e-commerce expertise in-house already. And so there's a bunch of like kind of factors that went into that that decision ultimately. It was not necessarily to go exclusively out market, I don't think. But Drip has can be applied to larger organizations with with more considered effort to build features in that direction. So like how can it continue to serve the low end and also scale with people as they get bigger? I think was kind of the thinking behind that. Got it. So, hmm. so yeah. So I think that like the roadmap doesn't really align with the a lot of the earliest adopters, or hasn't. It's not like Drip is unusable or or going to become less usable necessarily for for kind of the the people who who started out using it. But like I think a lot of the the newer features are kind of focused on e-com so it stung extra hard because the people were feeling like you know i'm not seeing a lot of features built for my specific use case and now you're telling me that you've made it this so much more valuable that my price is doubling what right you know, yeah i can i can see why it really burned yeah that's rough like i was i was watching like oh god this looks terrible and i was just like feeling for you and rob like wondering what that must be like as like someone else is doing this thing that's pretty clearly bad to this thing that you created and like like your, this goodwill that you built up over such a long time like had to be kind of rough. Yeah, it was rough. And it's also hard too because it's interesting. I didn't feel it too personally because I know that like at this point I'm not I'm not affiliated in any official way with the company. Like I'm fully I'm fully out of there. So it's not like I have any say over this at all. But but I still, you know, I have a lot of friends there and there's like a lot of good people behind those doors and i i understand when a company does something like this it pisses off a lot of people and people rightfully build up kind of a a negative perception of the company but it's also interesting because i also have that empathy for for all the hard-working smart people who are just trying to do their job the best they can who are behind you know behind the walls of drip too so it's like i know that they i'm sure they had a terrible week and so it's just it just feels icky for me you know I'm a little surprised they didn't have like some sort of retraction or something, like some kind of backpedal. Like if there was, I didn't see it. Even with my tiny lists, I send a test email to like 10% most of the time, just being like, let's just see what happens. And like it catches stuff where it's like, okay, everyone's responding like, what the hell is the pricing? Like, how did you do this email with no pricing chain? Like, I'm a little surprised they would just like blast, like of all the emails to not yep. like proof like <laughs> yeah. crazy test with people send to your friends like the your pricing going up email is like gotta be you know the, the one you would not want to do that with yeah like i i think about like well maybe i'm in an echo chamber maybe like you know in this kind of bootstrapped startup founder space that i'm in that I, like follow a bunch of people like that on twitter like and so i'm getting i'm getting one side of the story and may and so i'm thinking to myself maybe on the one hand like there are a lot of customers out there who are like great the product is much more valuable for me i'll happily pay double for it 
you know, so maybe this is not like painting a true picture and it's just kind of like a, a noisy corner of the overall customer base. And but I don't know. Part of another part of me is like, I feel like this is this was still a misstep for uh, <laughs> for more than just the small corner of the Internet that that I'm kind of in. You know, it. Mm, I think it yeah. just was flawed execution overall. So that's a bummer. Yeah. I wonder when like the the connection in your brain like like stops firing where it's like you you can't control it there's nothing you can do about it you're sort of watching it from the outside and but you feel some affinity towards it and around it and eventually you just had like i imagine that eventually falls to mostly zero it's like i wonder what that like graph looks like yeah i don't know i mean at this point like i I feel like I feel like I've been able to move past it. You know, like it was a during that day, I was less productive that day. I just kind of felt like this weight of like, oh, this is this, this catastrophe going down. Um, but you know, it didn't stick with me for too long, which is nice. Um, mm. Do you ever regret selling? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I think that to look at this situation and then say like, ah, there it is. We should have sold it would be like totally, you know, using current knowledge uh, to apply it to hindsight, which, you know, just doesn't work. So when you when you give up control of a company, there's always a risk of it taking a turn. And we know how quickly things shift around, especially in the technology space where your software companies pivot a lot quicker than like a brick and mortar company that has that just moves slower. So, you know, I knew that like within the span of a few years, like drip could look considerably different and be making a bunch of different decisions that I wouldn't have necessarily made. So I, I think we always knew that that was, that was an eventuality. And I feel like the whole time that Rob and I were there, I feel like things, things continue to move in the right direction. And like, I'm really proud of what we were able to do and the team we were able to build and stuff. And then knowing that like once we were going to eventually move on. And then once that happens, like you kind of got to be ready to, to, to let it go, you know, and, and know that like, People are going to make their decisions and, and you just got to kind of accept it. So what about like on, on, on more normal days where you're not like, oh man, that was bad, but just like on your average day, are you ever like, "Mm, it'd be fun to be back with those people doing that thing again? I miss the people for sure. Like I, I have lots of fond memories of early days and later days, like the, the team we built locally here in Minneapolis, like. I just ran into some of my former coworkers the other day on the street and I was like, it's really good to see you guys. Like, I've, I really miss you. But I also really don't miss uh, being in the email sending space. <laughs> so like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like on the other side of it, like I was totally ready to move on to like a different area of technology that didn't involve ESPs and blacklists and all that crap that is just a nightmare you can imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So caring about other people's deliverability is not that much fun. Oh my gosh, it is terrible. It is it is just horrible. <laughs> so yeah. Damn. I wonder, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like all businesses have to have like some sort of slog to them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like they just like compete each other away into the ground or something. Or it's like like we're building this app and like there's these parts of it that are so annoying and tricky. And it's like, but yeah, but that's but if it there weren't there, it's not a business anymore, basically. It's a commodity. Yeah. No, I think that's probably true. Like uh, <laughs> Rob and I have talked about this before because before before Drip, there was Hittail, 
which I worked on Rob with a little bit. And that was kind of dependent upon Google not breaking stuff. And man, that, I mean, the product is still around. I'm not sure how it works today, like where it's getting its data and stuff, but it started out getting keyword data. So it would help you figure out how to optimize your SEO, your long tail SEO by like gathering keyword data from, from the query string. And then Google like stripped all that out. But then there was like a way to get it from webmaster tools. So then the engine basically got rewritten multiple times to try to get at the best data it possibly could. But like, you know that like Google is just kind of could easily wipe you out in a second in that situation. And like, they're not even aware that they're obliterating your business. They're just making their right. tweaks and changes, you know? So that was like, oh, never again, never anything dependent on Google. And now I think I have another never again on my list. It's like never again, email sending, uh, but I feel like that list is only going to grow. <laughs> There'll probably be something with Level, although I'm I'm glad that it's not. Level is pretty self-contained. It's not you know dependent upon really too many other external providers. So yeah, we were talking about risk factors for us, and like one is just like we depend on Mac OS continuing to let us do the things we need and want to do, and like it could be like they could just be like, oh yeah, no more. We don't we don't allow this anymore. Increased security, just no, you can't do this which would be a real bummer for us. Although there was kind of a saving grace, which is like if, if Mac OS just decides, all right, no more uh, remote mouse control, uh, no one can do it. So it's like, well, we'll be the, hopefully we're still the best on the other things. No one can do this anymore. That's unfortunate, but what are you going to do? So hopefully they won't just like accidentally kill us with <laughs> by breaking all our APIs. Right, right. Or, or you get really crafty like if there's no longer an official api for this thing but if you can figure out a way to like get at it that's not like totally like breaking the system but like something that's then that's also a, a moat of like sure know. we are already doing some shenanigans so i'm sure so i'm sure you've more, seen some more shenanigans <laughs> is just you know that's just par for the course i guess yeah there really just aren't two mouse cursors okay people there just are not there's only one if there's two mouse cursors it's because of hacks uh, yep. And so we'll make the best hacks we can. <laughs> we but make the hard. best hacks over here. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. I don't think any of us imagined that like dual mouse was going to be like the the deep complexity well of this app, uh, but it's looking like it is. Latency might be easier. Mm-hmm. We'll I, I can imagine there's not too many low level APIs there to help you out with multiple mouse. I'm sure like the OS really no. wants there to just be one. So hundred <laughs> percent. It's like, just yeah. take like this thing that's assumed by all the code throughout all the layers and be like, nope, that's not true anymore. And it's like, nah, nah, screw you, buddy. We're definitely not going to work <laughs> this way. So yeah, that's, that would be uh, probably more, more on this podcast of uh, dual mouse mm-hmm. cursor rants in the future, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. You got to get it off your chest, you know. <laughs> it does. I feel better. I feel lighter already. Mm-hmm. Good. No, but for real, it was it was a good week. I feel I feel good. I'm really tired, but uh, very happy. I, I'm good. just psyched to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Should be some good radio. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, show notes. Yeah, show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Good talking Thanks. to you. You too, man. Bye. Bye.